Hello out there in Radioland. Is customer education just customer training, or is it something more? Whether you're scoping out your program for the first time, or consolidating separate functions into one customer education experience, you have to know which programs to include, and which ones to leave out. But we think that whether you call it customer education, enablement, or education services, you've got to think bigger than just training. It's September 4th, 2018, and welcome to episode 002 of C-Lab, the Customer Education Laboratory, where we're exploring how to build customer education programs, experiment with new approaches, and exterminate the myths and bad advice that stops growth dead in its tracks. I am Dave Darrington. And I'm Adam Avermescu. And welcome to today's episode. Well, let's just start tearing into it, Adam. Are you ready to go? Let's do it. All right. So getting back to what you just introduced, you know, it it used to be that in the on-prem world, and by that I meant back in the day when you got a box with software and you had to go to a server and install it and teach people in whatever environment you were how to use it. It's all in-house. Um, that things were kind of different, right? You know, you used to get this, hey, Adam, did you have this, like this library, the shelf of all the software folders and like the three inch ring binder, and then somebody would come in or you'd go away to train and it was long, tedious, boring. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, the only chance you had to interact with a customer a lot of the time was those first few weeks during implementation. Otherwise, it was a, a retraining, and it was you rescoped everything. So yeah, you had a pretty limited window. It was totally limited, and I feel like having been there at the beginning when I was really early on in my career, and now we customer education leaders are simply being asked to do more. So let me turn it over to you, and you know, let, let's keep let's get this thing rolling. Yeah, sure. So I think you know we've moved from on-prem to the cloud. And that's changed a few things. It means that we have more touch points than we ever have with our customers. And it also means that the way that customers learn is very different from how it used to be because they have more opportunities to do it in time. So I think these days, customer education programs, it's more than just running trainings. Instead of having training and then documentation that lives somewhere else and maybe an idea of a community that lives somewhere else and maybe a certification program that's very formal... Um, Mm -hmm. Instead of having those all siloed from each other, I think we're seeing a trend towards rolling these programs up into the same cohesive customer education program. That's great. So, you know, we're also seeing different kinds of methods, different ways to combine customer education with other roles, other functions. Like I was just talking to somebody the other day about sales enablement. What pieces does your sales team actually need to get the product enough to sell it well. And then you have internal learning and development teams, sometimes partner enablement. So Adam, why don't we just take a look at the aspects of, uh, you know, uh, into the different programs that can be included and where you might draw that line. Sounds good. So first, let's uh, let's knock down the myth and structure our hypothesis. I think the myth here is that there are a lot of people that say customer education is just customer training. Have you heard that, Dave? I hear that often. (laughs) (laughs) So we think that's false. So let's go beyond that misconception. I think the hypothesis we should test today is that 
An effective customer education function combines many programs that help customers learn in different ways. So let's go ahead and tackle the implications of this one at a time. So largely within this, we're going to debate the different programs that roll up into a customer education function. And that means training, documentation, and community. Let's do it. All right, so let's go back to this myth, right? Some people say that customer education is, and, and I'm making air quotes here, it's just training. <laughs> but when we do this, I think we're actually creating an organizational problem, and we're placing the burden of that problem on our customers, on our learners. And right. that's something where I don't think we should be paying forward our organizational debt to our customers. If, uh, if education lives in services and docs live on the product team, and the help center lives on the support team, and thought leadership resources live in marketing, and community lives in a different part of marketing, you, you see where I'm going. You end mm -hmm. up with you know, five or so different places for customers to look. And this is something I get asked about all the time. It's one of the reasons why we created Optiverse at Optimizely, because we saw that our customers didn't really have one place to go to get help or support or to learn. And at customers, that's all the same thing. Right. And then even sometimes education teams who do just do training, they split up and, and they kind of bifurcate into um, live training or online training or training subscriptions and, and so on. So I think there's a lot of unnecessary divisions. And when you turn the lens around and look at it from a customer's perspective, um, they're wondering, where do we go from here? How do I learn about this product? I love this. Like I feel really passionate about this, Adam. And, and let me spin that a little bit further. Something that I've experienced is that from that customer perspective, and you alluded to this already, it can be a really tough experience. So you're not there as a customer to navigate, like you talked about um, organizational debt, right? You're not there to navigate that and to figure out, oh, I need to go to this place to find this piece of information. The documentation is over here. The training is on this LMS our customers want to get to information and solve a problem now. It's kind of a use case approach in some cases. Amen. So I think it's, <laughs> amen. Uh, so I think it's really important, and I think we, I would say we think it's really important to consolidate as much of this as possible. So even if different teams with different pieces of content that are out there, you can still have a centralized customer education function or even a committee that does content strategy across all these channels. And ideally, bring them together into one cohesive goal or one cohesive unit. So why don't we share our stories here? Adam, why don't you go first? I, I'm really interested in learning more. You've told me about it, but tell the audience about it. You know, what were some of your experiences with Optiverse? Yeah, for sure. Happy to talk about that. And maybe, you know, just to put a fine point on something that, that you just said, Customer education does not have to live organizationally under one team. And in the early days of the Optiverse, we actually had multiple teams working on different properties, but we coordinated really closely so that the experience still felt cohesive. So keep that in mind as I dive a little bit uh, into, into Optiverse. Totally. So the reason we created Optiverse to begin with is that we knew that customers were looking for information and trying to solve problems in different ways. And so Optiverse, when it first started, was three different ways to learn about Optimizely. If you just needed help in the moment or just needed a reference, that was what our knowledge base was for. If you wanted to ask a question or to talk to other people about what was going on, um, whether it was in the product or whether it was, you know, how do I become a better optimization or experimentation professional, 
that was in our community. And then finally, if you did want that, hey, you know, I just want to learn how to go from zero to 60 with Optimizely, that was in our academy. We had all three of those merged together into this single Optiverse portal, even though there were three different systems underneath it, even though uh, we shared responsibilities with our customer marketing team in terms of running it, Mm -hmm. it still felt like one experience to the user. And when we built Optiverse, we did it to to reflect the 70-20-10 principle in learning, which is that when you look at how people learn different things, about 70% of the learning they do is basically on-the-job learning. It's in time. They're not sitting in a training class to do it. They're just trying to get things done. About right. 20%, and these ratios aren't exact, but you know, it's, it's, they're relative to each other. About 20% is social learning. So learning from other people, talking to other people about how, th- how they do their jobs. And then only 10% is actually formal classroom uh, learning path style learning. So we really built the Optiverse to reflect those three different methodologies. I like to hear that, and especially I like the quantified number, even if it's not completely, you know, this is it. But statistically, 70, 20, 10, that really helps. Because I'm finding more and more somebody will just walk over to me and say, hey, Dave, how do I do this? Or you want to find something in a social context with a friend online or whatever, or you want to go to community and see if anybody's uh, submitted this question before. So that's that's awesome. Well, let me give you some of my experiences. Yeah, I'd love to hear about some of the experiences you've had, too. One thing that I had was was particularly frustrating. So as as I came into one of the former companies I worked for, uh, I saw education, I, and I did this thing, this exercise that we're going to do today, and I started to reach out and see who has done what. You know, documentation is one area, product had other things, and I found this particularly frustrating as a learning professional to try to get all of my customer education experience into one locus. Uh, so our documentation was tremendous. Product owned it. So the role I fell into literally was to help empower struggling customers with technical content. This wasn't just an end user that was using a pretty easy product. This was people that were configuring, setting up. They really needed to know the details. And the problem that they experienced was documentation is not training proper right? And in other cases, we had project managers or other technical folks that were helping to onboard people. And all of the knowledge that should have been somewhere else was locked in people's heads. So they didn't, they had a community, but the community wasn't being used. They didn't have a knowledge base. And above all, there wasn't like a unified track. What I mean by that is, hey, I am completely lost Yes, I can read your documentation. Yes, I can go to your community, but it's kind of angling in on that 10% where people really were struggling to get onboarded quickly. So that was one of the bulks of my job is to get stuff out of people's heads, get it on paper, point to all these other resources and bring it together. And I still frustrated at the end of that. And this is something we could talk about on, you know, that mythical, perfect customer education team. I had lobbied for years in this organization to like bring things together. And unlike your experience, which sounds like it was net positive working with people across the board, while it wasn't negative, negative, it still was frustrating that other people had different kinds of focuses and we couldn't really bring everything together easily could have been better. This is one of the reasons we're talking about getting this all out early, starting the conversations early with your broad team so that you can drive to a really great education function. Yeah, for sure. That that sounds incredibly frustrating, Dave. And <laughs> you know, you, you say it's not easy. I agree, it's not easy. 
Uh, it wasn't easy at Optimizely. It's not easy at Checker. Um, it's it's not easy anywhere that I've ever worked. And I've talked to other customer education leaders who are in a similar situation where they're coming in to solve one problem. But what they quickly start to realize is that training isn't the way to solve all customer problems, right? Because training helps you build a certain set of skills in a certain context. But sometimes right. the problem that the customer is trying to solve is, uh, for instance, hey, I'm experiencing this error in the product and I just need to know how to solve it. Well, you probably don't want to send them to a, a troubleshooting training for that. You probably just want to give them effective documentation that helps them solve the problem. Mm-hmm. But to do that, you have to know where they're looking and what content is available to them. So I actually think one thing that helps if you're just getting started is to borrow uh, a technique from the world of content strategy. And so content strategists, when they first come in, they're responsible for looking across all of the marketing content that exists, uh, sometimes all the help center, all the all the different web pages that are associated with the brand, and really figuring out what content is there, who owns it, and what's not there that needs to be there. So that's called a content audit. And I think that when we come on board as customer education professionals, we can actually do the same thing. We can look across all the different content that lives in documentation, in the help center, in uh, trainings if they do exist, and start cataloging that together. So if you have different content that educates customers in different ways, then you probably aren't aware of all the different ways the customers are even trying to get to the info. So that helps you create a more customer-centric strategy. Awesome. Yeah, I've I've been on this this, uh, journey as well, and it's... um, one of the things I relish from my career is I was a business analyst. So mm-hmm. this was a big part of the job anyways. Like, what do we have? Uh, where is it at? Who owns it? How do we make it better? Uh, so why don't we start off a, a discussion and like tear some of the most obvious and maybe less obvious things down, maybe even debate a little bit. Yeah. I think we know the most obvious, but let me let you lead into that. Well, let me ask you this before we before we get started. You mentioned that it's good to do... Um, a content audit based on your your practices as a business analyst. What information are you even looking for when you start to do a content audit? What I'm looking for is to build a map. Mm-hmm. Typically, when you come into an org, and, and you've done this recently with your move, I've done this recently with my move, we've both done this in the past, you say, here I am. My job is 100% thinking about the customer education process, right? So, and I thought it was fun because the last role I've taken at Azuqua, everybody's like, oh my God, thank God you're here. <laughs> because everybody has this font of information, but they don't have time or ability to actually put it together. So the obvious things, and I'll just pick a few of them at, at random here is, hey, do I have any written training slide decks in the worst case, right? Do I have that knowledge base you're talking about. Maybe that's even something that the support team has just assembled haphazardly, but it's in a Google Doc. Um, did you have a community site? Uh, is that a portal or something like that? So I'll lay down a whole bunch of different things, and then I'll start talking to people and walking through that. So what other things are you thinking of, Adam? Like Maybe we'll go down the list that we've generated together and talk through that. Yeah, I think that as you're starting to look at it, one thing that I like to do is I like to identify the owner of the content. So who owns the content today? Um, mm-hmm. We can we can have an idea about maybe who should own it in the future, but that can be contentious when you're just walking into an organization. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and then I also like to look at, you know, when was it last updated? How fresh is it? Because sometimes you're walking into an organization and uh, your CSMs are still sharing a PDF that was created like five years ago. 
and nobody <laughs> knows if it's actually up to date or not, even if it has a version number on it. Yeah. <laughs> and then I That's like my to favorite. Look... <laughs> What's that? I said that one is my favorite, actually. Oh, yeah, we had this document and the date doesn't actually reflect when it was done. But, you know, it's probably about three years old. Yeah, it, okay, it, it so. smells right to me. <laughs> and then the other thing I like to look at, kind of to your point here, is how valuable is it? So in a help center, you'll usually see upvotes, downvotes. Um, in a training, you'll usually see satisfaction scores. So if you can get a sense at least of, is this thing working today? Then that's going to give you a good idea of where to go from there. So yeah, let's let's go down the list and talk about you know what to actually include in your content strategy and potentially to be included in uh, a customer education team. Cool. Well, let me kick it off a little bit and I'll I'll take the obvious one. All right. Obvious is you, you of course, want to have uh, training modules, e-learning modules, things like that. You know, the big blocks, how I tend to view them first is, look, I'm going to go and make either um, a live class and I'll make all my notes and I'll have, you know, God help me, a, a slide deck to bullet some of the main things that we're looking at, or I'll go on to e-learning, which we've talked about previously, it takes time to get there. So that the best thing you want to do is look for that training content. Somebody may have it. If you're coming into an organization that's already been doing training, the people that I'd talk to are, of course, my CSMs. I've seen a lot of them have really good content because they're with it every day. Uh, project managers or implementation team members, they may have their own things and assets that they go and talk to people about. And of course, anybody else that's semi-technical, that's working with customers day to day, even that pitch deck, that's awesome material to have. And then I will try to absorb as much of that kind of content together to see what I've got. So I don't have to start from scratch. And some days you may have to do that too. I agree. That's a great place to start. Another one that I see often is, you know, not just do the CSMs have trainings to onboard customers, but a lot of the time, there might be some pre-sales materials that either an account exec or a solutions engineer uses uh, to really orient customers' pre-sales. And a lot of the time that can become either documentation or training too. Absolutely. And usually it's somewhat technical in those cases. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's, let's do a harder one. A lot of the time Mm -hmm. when I start talking to especially customer success leaders, but sometimes marketing leaders think about this too, they ask, well, are we going to do a certification? So oh, yeah. should certification be part of customer education? That's a good question. Do you want me to answer? Yeah, why don't you take a stab at it and then I'll chime in too. Okay, I think we could debate this one. Yeah, let's do it. For me, I think certification is is a complex topic only because, uh, and those of you who may be listening that I know that I've, I've actually reached out to get your opinion on too, there are some regulations, there's some rules around what you can entitle certification. There are you know, legal documents that say it has to do these things and it has to be in this format. And basically, if you bring it, boil it all down, true, and Adam, I'm using air quotes now, yeah. true certification really is something that if I say, Adam, I've got my product training right here. And at the end of the day, you're going to to take this test. Well, that test probably has to be proctored so that you can't cheat. It has to be very well crafted so that test questions can't be too hard, can't be too easy, Goldilocks type questions, and it needs to push you a little bit. Uh, So on the hard edge of certification, it's, it's sometimes hard to get to. And it could cost you a lot. And it could actually not just cost you a lot to build, but it could 
be a loss leader depending on how you do it. So is it right for you if you're really early on? Maybe not. But maybe you have another idea on how to spin the concept of certification, Adam, in a more light way. Gosh. So, you know, before we even go into the idea of high stakes versus low stakes certification, there could be a whole episode on that. I think with certification, Mm -hmm. when you're thinking about putting it in a customer education team, the first question to ask is, what do we mean by certification? Because if a customer success leader comes to you and says, hey, we need a certification, and then the marketing leader comes to you and says, hey, we need a certification, they could be talking about two completely different things. And so then I think the, the second question to ask is, what do we want certification to do? Do we want certification to be a class that people can go to where there's a brief test at the end uh, and that ensures that they know how to use the product? Well, that's very different from taking a proctored exam that meets all these legal specifications. Um, you know, there's, there's just different levels of certification out there. Sometimes people mean the right. class, sometimes people mean the test, sometimes people mean the actual certificate. So I think it's important just to get aligned first on what do we mean by certification? And then then how rigorous do we want it to be to achieve what goal? Great. So, so would you say, Adam, then a, a really good example of an early certification might be partner certification, where you have somebody that's helping install who may not be your folks, but you want them to be up to speed and possible. And it may not be a formal thing. It may be an internal, okay, yes, you've looked at the materials, you've tested it out. I saw that you can actually present our product to a customer. Is, is that the kind of thing that you're angling in on? I like starting with partners because there's an element there where if if you have a smaller controlled group of partners who are delivering on your behalf, you really want to make sure that they can do what you can do. So you can actually measure whether they can pitch your product, you can measure whether they can support your product in these use cases, and usually because it's a smaller and more controlled population, uh, it does make it easier for you to know that they're actually doing what you ask them to do. Yeah, that's great. So you've quantified the the journey. Yeah, absolutely. And then, like you know, that. you can start doing lightweight certifications with customers. I've seen all sorts of certifications, right? There's like a HubSpot's inbound marketing certification where you don't even have to be their customer to get it. It's just a way for them to uh, introduce people to the world of inbound marketing. Right. Yeah, that's exceptional. You can go all the way up to like a Tableau type certification or PMP when you think about the project management uh, certification, which is really intense and brings people to their knees. Yeah. And a PMP is, I I think that's technically an accreditation, which is just a whole different level in some ways. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess in summary, the question to ask here is what do you actually want your certification program to do? Um, And then from that, you can ask what form does it actually need to take? Totally. I think yeah. that's really a, a good way to approach. Cool. So, you know, we, we talked a moment ago about documentation and knowledge bases or help centers. And do they belong in a customer education program? Now, I think the answer is yes. In both of the most recent customer education programs that I've built, I've actually started with documentation before I've done anything else. Uh, because in my opinion, documentation is one of the most efficient ways to get knowledge and expertise from your subject matter experts head um, and help customers access it. What do you think, Dave? Yeah, I think so too. And there are some cases, depending on what you're, you know, how you're approaching things. Is documentation training? No. N- not particularly. It's, it's, I think it's a precursor. I think it's a, um, a requirement for training because that's 
commonly where I pull stuff out. Knowledge base is a little less structured, right? It's documentation that is in a more of a free form, but indexed fashion. I'd like to say, um, and I, I'm actually agreeing with you, I think that both of these things technically belong within the customer education persona, that, that role, because they're the foundation of really good educational material. That, that you know, it's all, it's all written down, and it's lo- like the knowledge base in particular, if you're doing it right, it's constantly updated and constantly surfaced, probably by your support reps, maybe even your CSM team. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. With documentation, being able to get more people from the organization involved really helps uh, because it is a more accessible way for them to help identify what are the most common issues that are coming up, uh, how does this feature actually work, and do it in a way that's more scalable than asking them to do trainings over and over. So I like that. And I also think that when you're thinking about documentation and help centers cross-functionally, you're kind of avoiding this hammer and nail problem. I don't know if you've heard the phrase, when all you have is a hammer, every problem starts to look like a nail. I I think Uh when you just have training, then every problem starts to look like a training problem. So when you have documentation, you have a way to start thinking about how can we help customers in a way that isn't just, oh, well, let's put a training on that. Let's put a training on that. Uh, There are other ways to help your customers solve problems besides putting them in a classroom or sending them to an e-learning. Totally, totally agreed. So let's go ahead and talk about community. Yeah, so another piece that people like to ask about is community. I know a lot of people who are, um, for example, director of customer education and community or customer training and community. So does community belong in a customer education program? That's a good question. And, you know, one of the things that I'll attribute to Donna Weber and probably Bill Cushard made the comment, if you build it, they won't come. You know, like, hey, you could build documentation or a community in this case. And if I just put a website up and say, here, guys, post your questions, um, what happens? You know, when you're a new company and you're just doing that for the first time, maybe nothing. But I would tend to agree with you that community is, well, let's put it this way. I would tend to assert that community should be well aligned, if not part of that customer education landscape. Why? Because we just talked about documentation and knowledge base. And the thing that I've seen at every company I've worked for, and even in my own projects that are on the side, you put up a forum or a community, people are going to start asking questions. And the great thing about a community is that that's there in, that's there in perpetuity, right? I ask a question, somebody answers it, hopefully it's somebody who's a subject matter expert, and then that's basically pinned, and I can go back to that. might decrease in relevance over time, but that's a source of material that's constantly surfacing by people who are trying to learn. So what do you think? Yeah, I think it definitely makes sense to account for community. Um, Again, sort of like with certification, there's a question to ask here, which is, what does community mean? Some people think community is the online forum. Some people think community is user groups and events. So, Mm -hmm. you know, to that token, first define what community means to your organization. And depending on where it lives or what it is, it might be a shared responsibility. Uh, A lot of the times I see marketing do a lot of the field marketing pieces, the the user groups, the live events, things like that. Um, And then they may run uh, part of the online community, but they may not. That might be within the, the actual customer education team, too. We actually tried it both ways at Optimizely. 
But I think to your point, uh, the if you build it, they won't come is essential because customers will come asking questions. And if there's no one there to answer them, then that community is going to become a tumbleweed community really quickly. So I would make sure that regardless, you have subject matter experts who are in there, whether they're from your company or whether they're partners or, um, you know, customers that are part of your MVP program, just really make sure that there are people in there to facilitate discussions and to answer questions. Totally. So you, basically, to summarize, you need to invest in that. You can't just throw it out there and expect it to do something. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of true of all of these. If you, if you build it, you have to maintain it. But uh, mm-hmm. with communities, I think that's amplified just because there's always something going on in a community. Totally. Well, let's flip to one more point I know we have is, and I'll ask you this as a question. So there's this topic called content marketing. And again, this may be an alignment issue or alignment effort. So tell me more about what you think content marketing has to do in the customer education ecosystem. Where does it fit in or does it? Well, at some point, someone's going to ask you, hey, you know, we've made all these ebooks and white papers and blogs and things like that. Those are all customer education too, right? And Mm -hmm. my answer to that is they they can be depending on how you want to use them. So usually I like to have a, a, a tag team relationship with the content marketing team. If they're producing eBooks or white papers or blog posts that are primarily aimed at generating awareness or thought leadership, I love to be able to take some of the concepts from those and repurpose those into training or documentation that can be used post-sales. And vice versa, a lot of the times we're hearing an issue from our customer base, um, especially if we're working on more conceptual trainings or documentations, uh, I love to share that with them as well so they can turn it into more aspirational pre-sales content. Ooh, I like that. You know, let me share an idea or let me share a topic that we've done recently at Azuqua where we actually align pretty tightly while I'm in marketing so that it actually makes it so much easier. And when we say, hey, we wanted to, I'll give you an example. We were working on a new um, aspect of our product and we did a very short, very concise use case, right? Hey, you can do this with Azuqua. And it was very light, very to the point, very short. And that was more outbound for marketing to to bring people's attention to the product. And then I had something prepared that would go further after that. Mm -hmm. So it told people exactly all the steps you need to do to implement what they were talking about. And man, that was awfully fun because then you would see people literally say, wow, that's interesting. Now, if they said it's not interesting, they can move on and they're not bothered by it. But that's cool because then you're working in collaboration with the true marketing effort and making very deep content while your marketing team is talking at it kind of at a higher level to see whether you're interested or not. So that's a really good way to navigate and to teach. Yeah, content marketers love repurposing content, I've found. Um, It really helps fill in those gaps in the customer journey. Totally. And it go the other way, too, because I've seen content that I've created where the rest of the marketing team goes, hey, what if I pick this with this, this, did a little thing, and then repurpose that? And I'm like, let's go for it, because that brings more eyes to the training material that we have, too. Awesome. So I think we've had some really good debate about what goes in a customer education team. It sounds like all of these potentially can be in a customer education team, but you really have to be intentional about what each of them is going to do. I think that's a really good point. So basically, Adam, you're saying know what you're trying to accomplish by beginning with the end in mind. What's my goal? What's my outcome? Um, And 
we'll probably get back to this in other podcasts, but also be thinking a little bit about how am I going to measure that? That's not the goal right now. Now we're just trying to get the landscaped out. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll come back to measurement for sure. So let's, uh, with that said, let's switch over to our mailbag. All right, let's-, let's What do we re- got here today? Let's reach into the mailbag and see what we got. Welcome, you've got mail. <laughs> so here's a question from Kim in San Francisco who asked, I train on a software product that's always changing. How do you keep up with all of your software updates in your trainings and videos? Oh my gosh, this is one of the most common questions I hear. Uh-huh. That's a great Sounds one. Sounds stressful. It's very stressful. So we could do a whole episode on this one, uh, content maintenance <laughs> and updates, but this, uh, this does align well with what we've been talking about already, having a content strategy. I think just super simply on a, on a high level, your software product is always changing, but that doesn't mean that your videos and your content always need to 100% reflect what your software looks like. Your learners are smart. They'll know if like a button is in a slightly different place. So it's kind of on you to figure out when is the product different enough from the assets I have that I need to make that change. So if you have a regular audit period built in where you're looking at your existing content or you know that um, you're doing a major feature release that is going to change uh, the way your product looks and works in a meaningful way, that's the time to update. I think that's a very concise answer, Adam. And I would confirm that or I would validate that as well. I mean, the real tendency for those of us who have that perfectionist gene is, oh my gosh, you've changed something fundamentally, I wanna go back and fix it. You know, if you're early on in your organization and you're just starting out, my advice to you is to turn that gene off or at least say, no, no, perfect is the enemy of done mm-hmm. or perfect is the enemy of good. I love that. I've, <laughs> I, I, I don't know who to attribute that to, but I love that one and I say it all the time and it catches. The, the key point is, for me at least, and I don't know how you feel about this, I am an early, I'm early in that cycle of developing content. When I'm in that mode where it doesn't exist, I vie for getting it out there and putting a beta sticker on it and saying, please click here for any inconsistencies, questions, or whatever, and get that loop going. Because I feel like it's a partnership with, with our customers. And I'm a customer of many other vendors. I want to know that people are listening to me and that I can say, oh, well, you've got this here, or this doesn't seem to be quite right, and that team's going to be listening. That's super hard, but your product is going to be changing so fast, you're going to get completely stressed out if you try to maintain a cadence that's completely in sync. It's it's not sustainable. Yeah, and I, I love your idea of having constant feedback, too, because that helps you figure out what your customers actually notice and what they don't. Because it may be that you are two or three revs out of date, but you know the button only moved a, a slightly to a slightly different place, or it changed color, or something like that. Customers probably don't care about that as much as you know if you changed major pieces of functionality. Probably not. And and I always say just a last note on this. One of the other ways to get somewhat around this is, and and I'm not lobbying for this all the time, but if you're early on and you're only doing instructor-led type training, one of the the things that I say is like. The product's evolving. I'm giving trainings every week, every month. I'm updating on the fly because I have to prep. And I've always found that that was a really good way to keep in sync and then basically take some of the videos or recordings of those and put them online and socket them in, so to speak, into some of the e-material. Not perfect, but it's another way to really get accelerating pretty quick. Yeah, be transparent with your customers about where you are. 
And as time goes on, you'll probably also start to work on some more evergreen types of material, either conceptual training, uh, diagrams, things that don't change so often. So that'll help you over time. Yeah, thank goodness for that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we've had a great discussion today. And just to summarize this week's uh, experiment, let's wrap up with a clear call to action. Let's do it. All right, cool. So get out a piece of paper or a spreadsheet, and uh, let's start figuring out what the landscape of your customer education program is going to look like. I would say first, if you're the education leader at your organization, take stock of where the existing programs live and start talking to the other leaders in your organization about how you can better collaborate. So on the other hand, if you haven't done a content audit yet uh, and you're still figuring this out for the first time, get out a spreadsheet and start making an audit of the content that educates customers. Put down the stuff you know you have, stuff you think you have, stuff that maybe you found that you don't know you have, but do it, for, uh, do it from the customer's perspective across those different channels. And then use that as a way to start the conversation with other team members to figure out where the gaps are and how you can better work together. I love this. This is a fun one, Adam. This is, and something that I'd also say in that just kind of organically is it's going to be a little painful at times and people may be uh, challenging you, but most people will recognize your role and how it helps them pretty quick because then they can offload and give you information and they're not completely burdened by having to do this all the time, right? So super cool. Uh, I might go back and do this again because I love doing it. All right, let's, let's close this out. If you want to learn more, we have a website and it is at customer.education. You can type in the HTTPS part or HTTP. I'll take it to the same point. Uh, it's customer.education. There, you're going to find all of our podcasts, our show notes, and other material like templates that will be an easy download to help you with these exercises. And please, if you have found value in this podcast, we ask you, compel you, share it with others, friends, peers, and your network. We're trying to find the others. That means find everybody in our ecosystem and help help as a team collectively to get up to speed with this material and make great customer educators. So with that, we are closing out. Um, again, you can find us on Twitter, on LinkedIn. We'll put our handles on the, the website and to our audience. Thanks for joining us. So go out, educate, experiment, and find your people. Thanks for listening.